This recording is brought to you by Whitworth University. To hear additional programs, please visit www.whitworth.edu backslash podcast. It's my privilege uh, this morning to introduce Whitworth's 18th president, Dr. Beck Taylor. Dr. Taylor holds a PhD in economics from Purdue University. He became president of Whitworth in 2010, bringing with him experience gained from a distinguished career in two leading church-related universities. He had been a successful dean of Samford University's Brock School of Business, and before that, an award-winning professor at his undergraduate alma mater, Baylor University. Beck Taylor's scholarship as an economist is a wonderful example of the mind serving the heart. Uh, Beck's uh, compassion for economically disadvantaged children has fueled his uh, research agenda. Many of the more than two dozen studies that he has published in scholarly journals evaluate the effectiveness of various intervention strategies in helping children overcome the effects of poverty. Beck Taylor's vision for Whitworth University is embodied in the Whitworth 2021 Strategic Plan, the overarching goal of which is to elevate Whitworth's status as one of the finest liberal arts universities in the nation. Under his leadership, Whitworth University has become more visible as a national liberal arts university and as an institution that is shaping the culture of the inland Northwest. Anyone who's spent any time with Beck Taylor knows how much he loves Whitworth University and its students. He wants Whitworth to continue to thrive as it educates students to honor God, follow Christ, and serve humanity. As Whitworth's chief academic officer, I am delighted to serve a president uh, who's uh, used books to shape his leadership team. It shouldn't be a rare thing that a president believes in the power of ideas, uh, but in the 21st century, that cannot be assumed. Beck Taylor is a man who believes in both the power of ideas and the power of faith. I appreciate Beck's sharp mind, compassionate heart, and prayerful decision-making. Since coming to Whitworth, Beck, his wife Julie, and their three children, Zach, Lauren, and Chloe, have woven themselves into the fabric of Whitworth University. Please join me in welcoming Whitworth's 18th president, Dr. Beck Taylor. Thank you, Carol. Well, good morning, Whitworth. This is a wonderful day to begin officially the fall term here in our 126th year. Carol, thank you for that generous introduction, and thank you all for attending this morning. This is an important event in the life of our institution. Because the sights and sounds of today's event do remind us of things that are important to us. The word convocation itself means our calling together or our shared calling. The calling each of us has to this place called Whitworth. So in the light of that shared calling, I think it's appropriate that I first welcome our students today. Students, we are reminded by your presence that Whitworth's core mission, that is our primary calling, is the mind and heart education of the next generation of the world's citizens. 
And so I want to add a very special welcome, particularly to our newest students. If you are a new student, either a first-year student, transfer student, continuing studies, or a graduate student, would you please rise and let us warmly welcome you? Thank you. We are so excited that you have chosen to join the Whitworth family. You are indeed Whitworthians for life. And our returning students, if you are a returning student, would you please rise and let us welcome you home. Thank you. I'd like to also welcome our staff and faculty this morning, so many of whom are dressed in their finest regalia up front. Thank you for the faithful ways that you live out your callings to teach and to mentor and to create and write and serve. Would you all students please join me in thanking your faculty and staff. And many representatives of Whitworth's external constituencies are here this morning, responding to their individual callings to serve this community as well. They include alumni, parents, friends, donors, auxiliary members, pastors, community members, public servants. These are all people who give life to this university through their steadfast prayers, through significant leadership, volunteer service, and generous financial giving. We thank you for being here as well. And finally, Whitworth's Board of Trustees serves a very important calling in the life of Whitworth, providing wise leadership and ultimately safeguarding Whitworth's distinctive mission by generously offering, among other things, their time and wisdom, prayer, and financial resources. This morning, trustees Debbie Cazetto, John Sowers, and Stu Stiles are here representing all of their trustee colleagues. So would you please join me in thanking our trustees. Well, for so many of us, journeys into our past are important journeys for us to take. Perhaps a visit to your childhood home can conjure up memories of parents and siblings, stories of family that help us to understand who we are and why we see the world the way we do. Or maybe a trip down memory lane that comes from attending a high school or college reunion can help us to recall important people or events in our lives that have shaped us into the people we are today. Even photo albums can take us back to times that can seem strangely unfamiliar, but with the slow turn of each page, that distant, unfamiliar past slowly becomes clearer and can ultimately bring with it intense feelings of emotion so strong and real as if they were lying dormant just below the surface the whole time, waiting for just the right cue to come rushing to the height of our awareness. Summers, I've found, are a great opportunity to take trips 
into the past. The Taylor family made such a trip to Texas in early August. Not a great time, mind you, to visit Texas. Now, you should know that only one member of the Taylor family can rightfully claim to be a native Texan, and that's my daughter, Lauren. But there's something about Texas that can, can convert almost anyone, regardless of origin, into a Lone Star fanatic. Such is the case for the rest of my family, including me, who have called Texas home for many years. It was fun this summer, driving around the old neighborhood, visiting with friends, and reliving many of the joyous and even some of the not-so-joyous times we had there as a family. One afternoon, we made a trek to Julie's and my alma mater, Baylor University. Julie and I met there the very first day of class our freshman year, in calculus class, where all great relationships start. <laughs> we dated all four years of college and were married after graduation. So for us, walking hand in hand up and down the sidewalks, that, lined, that were lined with live oaks that summer, this summer, uh, brought to the surface fond memories of first love, of coming to age, and exciting times as we enjoyed college life together. Now, mind you, our kids were walking 10 paces behind us, embarrassed at the sight of mom and dad getting all romantic <laughs> as we walked those familiar steps. One particular episode in our lives did come rushing to the surface while we were there. But it wasn't of our days at Baylor. It was of our days after we left Baylor. You see, Julie and I graduated from Baylor and then soon after uh, spent one year living in Houston. And then we headed to Indiana so that I could attend graduate school. Four years later, after finishing my PhD at Purdue, we had the great fortune of being called back to Baylor when I was offered a faculty position there. I know many of our Whitworth employees graduated from Whitworth, and so you know what a joy it is to return to alma mater, even if in a different role or in a different stage of life. We were living the dream. Julie and I thought we would be there forever. Why would we ever leave Waco? Our family expanded. We built our dream home. Julie received a graduate degree and prepared herself to reenter the workforce. Things were going just fine. It's often when things are going just fine, just the way we like it, when God intervenes in our lives with a chance for change. After eight wonderful years there, God began to show Julie and me that he was preparing to take us to new territory. And as our moving van pulled away from that familiar home, we loved to take our belongings to Birmingham, Alabama. We knew life was going to change dramatically. My new position as dean of the business school at Sanford University called us away from that place that seemed so friendly and familiar into new and unfamiliar opportunities and challenges. I remember our first few months in our new city. Birmingham seemed like another planet. Lush pines dotted the landscape instead of those familiar scrubby live oaks. 
Copious hills and valleys caused the roads to twist and turn in ways that were disorienting and caused my daughter to vomit each time we went to the grocery store. <laughs> and strangely and oddly, people smoked pork instead of beef for their barbecue. Even more disorienting. Birmingham was a beautiful city with beautiful people, but it wasn't home. My job at Samford was head spinning as well. No longer was I known as a faculty member, but now it seems I had unwittingly crossed over to the dark side of administration. Many of the skills and experiences that made me a successful faculty member seemed irrelevant for my new role. In addition, it quickly became apparent that the job I had agreed to was bigger than advertised. I was being asked to take a small and struggling school and turn it into something bigger and better. And unlike my former stomping grounds, there was no brand capital, no tradition of success, and few resources to do the job well. I remember having what seemed like a panic attack three or four months into that new job. What had I done? To finish this story, during our first Christmas break in Alabama, Julie and I made the fateful decision to return to Waco to visit friends just five months after we left. Big mistake. Returning to a place so familiar, with so many positive memories, so soon, after taking on such unfamiliar and disorienting aspects of a new place, only served to create feelings of pain and anguish and what I can accurately describe as heartbreak as we were reminded that the world kept spinning back in Texas even as the globe seemed stuck on its axis in Alabama. I wanted to go back. I wanted a do-over. Crying uncle asking for forgiveness for secretly enjoying pork barbecue <laughs> and returning back to things safe and familiar in Texas were so, so tempting. In this room this morning, we have hundreds of people who may be feeling something similar to what I've just described. New students, new staff and faculty, and many who are facing new challenges of all kinds. For many of you, you are only days into building a new life in a strange new land filled with pine cones and pirates. Combined with feelings of excitement and anticipation are perhaps feelings of melancholy, anxiety, and disorientation. You've left familiar places and people to come to a place that is requiring you to learn a new landscape, a new language, a new culture, not to mention making new friends you may be asking yourselves, what have I done? In the passage that Justin read for us this morning out of the book of Numbers, the Israelites, fresh off their liberation from Pharaoh and their bondage in Egypt, are asking the same question. What have we done? Moses and Aaron and the newly reconstituted nation of Israel are no more than one year out from their miraculous delivery from Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea. The stories from that fateful day are memories, 
memories of brutal enslavement in Egypt. These are stories that were being told and still top of mind. But it had been a long and difficult year since receiving their freedom. A new nation and the freedom and responsibilities that come with newfound autonomy, these are things that are difficult to manage. One of the insidious aspects of slavery is the, is the theft of dignity that accompanies the removal of basic responsibility and personal agency. Every move, every decision, and everything needed to live as a slave are decided by someone else. So with autonomy came aspects of life that were new and challenging to God's chosen people. Life wasn't quite as easy as they thought it would be, but it was certainly better than living as slaves in Egypt, right? So here's where we are in the story. After a year of nomadic existence, God's people are now at the doorstep, at the doorstep of the inheritance promised so long ago to Abraham and his descendants. They can see, they can smell, they can literally taste the promised land and all of its bountiful goodness. God is ready to deliver his people. They are ready to receive God's favor, but things go terribly wrong. Spies sent into the land come back with conflicting reports. Most of the spies tell a story of a land that is just as good as God promised, one flowing with milk and honey, a land full of everything they would need to live abundant lives, a far cry from the past year of desert wandering and manna eating. But along with the reports of beauty and bounty are reports of fortified cities, impenetrable walls and people so large they seem like giants. Despite the incredible gifts waiting to receive them in the land of promise, the spies tell the people that those blessings aren't worth the risk. They become faithless cowards. For them and for many of the Israelites, it would be better to go back to things familiar, back to Egypt, even back to captivity, than to move forward and face uncertainty and risk. Caleb and Joshua, well, they issue a minority report. They are the only spies who tell a different story. Yes, they saw the same things as the other spies, a land so bountiful as to defy description. And yes, cities of people who would oppose their taking it. But Caleb and Joshua, rather than allowing fear, anxiety, and the unknown dissuade them, they expressed their trust in the same God who had gotten them this far. For Caleb and Joshua, it was far better to trust in the Lord, even in the face of adversity, than to seek comfort in the familiar and ignore God's calling on their lives. Of course, we know how the rest of the story goes. The unfaithful spies meet their early demise. The nation of Israel is made to wander for a generation in the desert, putting off the promises of God for another 40 years. The Israelites call for new elections to ordain a leader who would shelter them from potential hardship and risk. The allure of going backwards kept the Israelites from moving forward. And as a result, they squandered the gifts of God. 
They turned their backs on all that God wanted to lavish upon them because of the false promise of safety and security. Friends, all of us are on the cusp of entering new territory. New students, you are beginning a long and at times arduous journey. On Saturday night, Leonard Oakland reminded you that this experience will be full of what he called problems. But as Leonard also reminded us that evening, it's how we lean into those problems that will define not only our journeys, but also the destinations we will ultimately reach. Students, in the coming days and weeks, you will be tempted to go back to things familiar. As you encounter new and challenging aspects of life here in your new community, the life you have mastered back home, it will come to mind often. No matter the promises and blessings that await you here, it will be easy, it will be human to contemplate the simpler life rather than to take risks and encounter uncertainties. So this morning, I want to encourage you that the same God who brought you to Whitworth is not a God who drops you off in a new land and then deceivingly abandons you to fend for yourselves. It is true that God never promises comfort or ease, but he does promise that he is with us and that he won't give us anything we cannot handle. So take it one day at a time. And remember that even if the land seems unfamiliar, or there are giants ready to devour you, that God is blessing you even now, and he has unfathomable blessings for you later. So be strong and courageous. Keep the faith. And it's not just new students who are facing unexpected journeys to new territory. Many of us find ourselves at waypoints in our respective journeys. A new school year, a new major, a new job, new responsibilities, changing family dynamics, unexpected professional and personal challenges. These things will test us. They will ask everything from us. And at times they will seem to overwhelm us. Don't give in to the lie that there is no calling in the chaos. Don't believe that circumstances are simply too difficult or that that new uncharted territory we find ourselves in is too untamable. The same God who has called you to this time and to this place and into these circumstances, as unwelcomed as they may seem at times, is the same God who will deliver you. So be strong and courageous. Keep the faith. It's hard for me to imagine how I would have arrived at Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington, had my family and I not made the difficult move to Birmingham. Spokane, in and of itself, an odd place where barbecue consists of hot dogs and hamburgers. (laughs) Our life in Birmingham wasn't the same as our life in Waco, but it was full of blessings. Challenges, yes, but God made us, met us there in amazing ways. The birth of our daughter, Chloe, an incredible time of spiritual and professional growth, the opportunity to invest in eternal relationships and the professional opportunities that eventually led me to the best job in the world right here at Whitworth. 
I couldn't see it at the time, but God was in the process of delivering me to the promised land. Away from things comfortable and familiar and toward things risky and uncertain. But there is joy in that journey and there is growth in that journey. So don't turn back, keep moving forward. Be assured that God in Christ is faithful to see you every step of the way. So may God bless you this year as you work and learn. Thank you.